This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 4, and we're going to continue on with verse number 8. It's, it's a very powerful verse, and it's amazing how much can come out of a verse. In fact, I'm amazed at how much can come out of a word. Uh, the other Wednesday night, we took three weeks dealing with one word in verse number five. And uh, by the way, I was rethinking this afternoon about our study in James, and uh, we are now embracing the first Wednesday night in February, and we have about four more, uh, three or four more to go, and then it'll be first of March. And the notation that I have for that in my study notes is that we began the book of James the first Wednesday night of March last year. So we're just about three weeks away from going into a full year in an expository teaching in the book of James. And I pray that it has been a blessing to you. I will tell you that we need to put on our big britches for chapter 5 when we get to it. Uh, that's a powerful scripture. And James, there's no doubt in my mind, I'll probably say this again when we get to chapter 5, that he and the prophet Malachi would have probably been real good friends. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But we'll say more about that as we actually get into chapter 5. Tonight, we're picking up with verse 8. Well, as we get into the study tonight, I want you to look at the first four words carefully of James chapter 4, verse number 8. Because with those first four words, I have a question for you. The scripture says, draw nigh to God. Now, my question is, how do you do that? How does a person draw nigh to God? How does a person get close to God? Well, obviously you've got to invest some time into that relationship in order to do that. And I'm not talking about frivolous time. I'm talking about quality time. And uh, probably the best way that you can invest time in this relationship, draw nigh to God, obviously is through prayer. And uh, we believe in the power of prayer. We've seen God do so many incredible things in our congregation through the power of prayer. And there are still many things that we're trusting him on. And I see Sister Val in our congregation and I, we're praying for you. And many of our members are praying for you. And we're trusting that you're doing so well. And uh, you, you have just made so much progress uh, to from where you got that first diagnosis to where you are right now. It's amazing what God is doing with you. And I believe that it's not by chance and coincidence. I believe it's through the power of prayer. The brothers and sisters have been interceding on your behalf. And we just give God the praise and the honor and the glory for what he's done in your life. But our church is full of people with uh, situations where God has intervened and God has done something different. Um, and then maybe God has not answered prayer like we would have requested it or as we have prayed it, but we can still see the merciful hand of God. So prayer is very valuable to us. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. We know the power of prayer. We believe in that as born again believers. We can get close to God 
through the avenue of worship. Worship, when you come into his presence, you just worship him for who and what he is. You can praise him. You can get close to God through praise and thank him for all the wonderful things that he has done. But when you come into the holy of holies, so to speak, and you begin to worship God, there's a big difference between praise and worship. And one of the best ways that you can get this relationship closer uh, in this thing between you and God is definitely to worship him. And uh, so I want to emphasize a couple of things. How do you get close? Draw not to God. How do you do that? You spend time in prayer. You, first of all, you invest time, good time. And, and I will tell you this, um, what in my home, I, I do a lot of study here at the church. I do a lot of sermon preparation, a lot of teaching preparation. Sometimes I work in, in home to do that. Sometimes I do it at the church. But one of the things that uh, Gail and I do uh, in the mornings is we have our, our devotional time. We, it's not a Bible study time. Uh, I'm so thankful that my wife doesn't sit at the kitchen table and ask me a hundred Bible questions that uh, she wants answers to before I leave and come to the office. Uh, she's been very good about that throughout the years, and uh, she she enjoys the preaching and the teaching and the things that she learns on her own. And we we do discuss the Bible at home from time to time, but. I'm so thankful that uh, she just she's not making a notepad full of questions and asking me all kinds of stuff uh, at home. But we do, we do have our devotional life. And uh, we do everything within our power not to leave home in the mornings. Morning times is the best time for us to have our devotions. And by the time my day is over, uh, I would probably fall asleep myself if I tried to have some type of a devotion in the evening. And because by that time, um, I've canceled about 10 different people on diff 10 different problems and gone through the administration and uh, problem solving and all of the things that I do. And by the end of every day, not one or two days, but by the end of every day, my mind is fried. And it would not do me any good to try to have a devotion in my life, in my world, what I do before I go to bed. So the best thing that works good for us is that we have our devotion together uh, in, in the morning. And right now uh, we are reading a, a book uh, from Dr. James Dobson, uh, who obviously you know for many years associated with Focus on the Family. And it's been a great book. And the way we do that is uh, in the book where there's a scripture reference, she'll um, find the scripture, she'll read the scripture, I read the devotions, and we take prayer requests among ourselves, and then we pray. And we do that uh, every morning. And then when uh, our grandkids come over, uh, typically that's on a Thursday night, uh, sometimes on the weekend, but uh, we always uh, double up and we have devotions with them at our kitchen table as well. And I would encourage you to do this. If you're not having devotions of any sort, um, it may not work out for you uh, to, to do it uh, in the manner or fashion that I do. And again, Bible devotions is not Bible study. And that's another subject, another thing. 
And uh, I'm, I'm constantly doing that, handling the Bible all day long in some form or fashion and uh, putting sermons together and cross-referencing and all kinds of things that I do with the Word of God. And again, I'm so thankful that she, she Gail, she just doesn't uh, drill me on Bible stuff uh, in the mornings. And it's just, we just don't do that. We have our personal devotions for us together. And uh, that's a beautiful thing that we have. And if you're not doing that, I want to encourage you to have, you call it whatever you want to call it. You call it your quiet time. Call it your prayer time, call it your devotion time, but you need to be in the word every day. You're not going to do what this verse says, draw nigh to God, if you're not in the word. You have to be in the word. You have to invest your time. You, you need to praise the Lord. You need to worship the Lord. You, you need to submit to the Lord. Whatever the word says, uh, do it, and uh, you'll, you'll be blessed. So I want us to look at this now a little bit deeper because it doesn't just say draw not to God. Look at this. And there's a lot of truth and implication here and application as well. The scripture says draw not to God. All right. That's where God is requiring of us to make the first bold step. You know, it's, I don't know how many of you here tonight you've ever experienced this or those of you that are watching by internet, but uh, in my 44 years of ministry, altogether ministry, I have, I don't even know if I can even ballpark the figure, the number of people that have told me throughout the years, they have said something like this. And uh, they have shared in testimony, but what they, what they say to God is this, God, if you get me out of this problem, if you get me out of this trouble, if you solve this situation, if you turn this thing around, I'm, I'm going to really love you with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. I'm going to serve you. And, and I can remember as a child growing up in our old church, uh, I, can, I can see people now, I can remember them by name, I can see them coming up on the platform to give a word of testimony and they would declare to God that they were going to surrender their lives to full-time missions and they would, they would weep and they would cry and they'd do all these things uh, and today you, you couldn't find them if you, you had a search party looking for them. But the thing is this, when you don't bargain with God, you don't say things like this, God, if you do this, I'll do that. Don't set a fleece out with God. And I'm not teaching on fleece. There's a story in the Old Testament about setting out a fleece. I'm not talking about that. In fact, by the way, you don't need to set out a fleece for God. God doesn't work in the realms of sign and wonders today. He works by faith. The just shall live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So don't try to hang out a fleece on God. Here's the thing. Don't put anything, any stipulations on the Lord and say, Lord, if you do this and if you do that, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. That's bogus. God's not interested in that. Here in the scripture, God makes a declaration. The word says you draw nigh to God first. You take the bold step. You make the first move. You step out on faith. You do what this book says. And when you get close to God, look at this. 
he will draw nigh to you. Now, I want you to look at this because this, this passage of scripture clearly teaches us when, when James is talking about this thing of drawing nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Well, you have to understand that the element between that, the element between God and the element between you is distance. There is a distance between us and God. And that distance is not measured in miles. The distance between us and God is measured by morals. And this is something that James is really going to spend a little time with. And so here's the thing. God does everything he possibly can do. God will, and he has, taken many bold steps in our benefit, in our favor. But God will not infringe upon our will. He will not do that. God has given us all a free will. And uh, I, I know some people tonight that would debate that. Uh, and they would say that it doesn't matter what a person does. God's got it all figured out to where um, this one, this one uh, is going to heaven and this one's going to hell. And a man does not have a free will. Well, he does have a free will. And don't ever think that a man does not have a free will. He does. That's why you find this word whosoever repetitiously throughout the word of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that means everybody. It's not the will of the Father that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we do have a will. We have a will. And it's a free will. And here's the thing. God will come as close to us and he will work in our hearts and he will work in our lives but he will not infringe upon our will. Do you remember the story in the scripture where the rich man came to Jesus and he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is, what, this is probably one of the best answers I have for the Calvinists. But for those who debate the subject that a man does not have a free will, and this is what we're talking about. God will not impose against that. He will come as close as he can without infringing on our will. But when, when it's all said and done, we have got to either receive him or reject him. And he will not infringe. He will not drag us by the collar and haul us down the aisle. He'll, he'll not do something in our home to browbeat us and make us get in line. No, but what, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. God will do all kinds of things as far as he can go without infringing on our will. But when a rich young ruler came to Jesus, have you ever thought about that story? And, and he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and for those people who, who believe that a man does not have a will and God is just handpicking this and handpicking that in heaven, listen carefully. Have you ever thought about the flip side of that story? When Jesus told him, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You remember what the man did? The Bible says he was sad in countenance and he walked away. Now, here's the thing. Could that man have been saved? 
Did he have an opportunity to be saved? Or did Jesus just handpick him to go to hell and this one to go to heaven and so forth? Listen, have you ever thought about it this way? What if, and I preached a message, two, three messages in our recent Bible prophecy series, and I emphasized what if. I said, underline it many times, put it in quotation mark. What, just think, just think, what if. In this particular story, what if that man had done what Jesus said to do? Now, if that man was predestined to die and go to hell, what, what, would, have, what would Jesus have done? If he said to the man, go sell all you have. Give to, and because he's omniscient, he, he knew what the man was going to do. There's no question about that. He knew it. He's omniscient. But what if the man turned around and said, I'll do that. See, even though the Lord knew he wouldn't have done it, and the Lord knew he wouldn't do it, he still gave the man the opportunity to express his will. And all of us have a will. And so God, he will come to us in every means and measure, and he will come as far as he can, but he stops short of infringing on our will. And so what we're talking about here is how to enhance our relationship. God will not make us have a relationship with him. He invites us to do that. So look at the scripture again, James 4, 8. Draw nigh to God and look at this, and he will draw nigh to you. He holds out his arms. He holds out his nail-scarred hands, and he says, come, get close to me, love on me. He would say, let's, let's build this relationship. Let's... Let's cultivate this thing. I want you to grow in grace. But in order for you to grow in grace, you've got to get close to me. You can't grow in grace if you're far, far away from me. You know, you think about when Jesus went to the cross. Only John, out of that whole band of disciples, only John was at the foot of the cross. Now, as far as his disciples go, the Bible says Simon Peter was following afar off. Here's the thing. You cannot develop a relationship with God. And to be technical with it, you cannot develop a fellowship with God. When you become saved, you, you have a relationship. But having a relationship is not fellowship. You cannot cultivate, you cannot develop fellowship with God if you're following afar off it's impossible and God's not going to jerk you by the shirt tail and make you do it this is something that you have to be willing to do you've got to invest that but I will tell you this when you stop and think about it God did take the first bold step to us the word says in 1st John chapter 4 verse number 19 we love him because he first loved us. In this scripture, we're talking about the fellowship that's so vital and necessary. 
And, and you cannot have fellowship with God if you're not investing time, if you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not reading the word, if you're not praising him, if you're not worshiping him, if you're not submitting to his will. You cannot cultivate a relationship with God without those things. So it's very important. We come to him. Here's how we, how we do it. When we first come to the Lord Jesus, we come to him as poor, lost sinners. That's how we come to him, first of all. We come in that, that realm, we confess our sins, we repent of our sins, and then we believe in his word, we accept him as our personal savior. And when we do that, according to the scripture, he puts us into the family of God. We talked a little bit about that last week, how we are baptized into his family. Now, here's the thing. When we become saved, we, we are instantly given a relationship with God. He's our father, we're his children. And because we are now in the family, this is how this thing works. When we choose to follow afar off, when we choose to drift, when we choose to, to backslide, that's a willful conscious choice. Here's the thing. God tenderly, tenderly, begins to call us back. He begins to woo us back. And the Holy Spirit gives us opportunities to come back. And this is the thing that I want you to know, that when, when we are in the relationship with God and we, we stray, straying children or straying sons Straying daughters, when we stray, listen, we are not lost sheep. When we stray, I want to remind you of something and go back to the story in your mind and your heart for a few minutes with me about the prodigal son. The father of the prodigal son, when the son left the home, he wanted all of his inheritance the Bible says he went and wasted it all and arrived his living. Listen, even though the father wanted him back at his side, when you read that story and you put it in the context that it's written, the father did not go running off into all the hillsides and to all the hollers and crossing all the rivers looking for his son. He didn't do that. But he did watch and he waited. And let me, let me stop and say this. That's why I said in the beginning of this particular study tonight that verse number eight was such an impacted verse of scripture. So much we can glean out of this. And sometimes when we have loved ones who are drifting, who are wandering, and we want more than anything for them to come back to their senses, we want more than anything for for God to turn the light on for them, so to speak. We want more than anything for them to return to the God of their fathers. Sometimes there's absolutely nothing we can do but pray. But the bottom line to all of that is this, don't ever give up on them. Don't ever give up. God never gave up on us. 
The word teaches us about the story of the prodigal son. The Bible says when the man came to himself, this is what he did. He went back to the father. The father wasn't running all around looking for him. The Bible says that the father was watching and waiting. And then when this man, the prodigal, was in the hog pen, the word says that when he came to himself, he said, I will arise and go back to my father. And that's what he did. He ran to his father. And this is what happened. His father ran to meet him. And that's the principle here. When we are willing to get close to God and God will get just as close to us as we want to be with him. This is how this works. I don't want to get out of the, the, the camera uh, tonight for those that are watching by internet, but I want you to get this principle, Justin, if you can stay with me for a little bit here, because I want you to get this principle. If this position represents me as a child, a son of God, now a daughter of God, this position represents God, all right? This is what the scriptures say. God is saying, you draw nigh to me. And the word says, God will draw nigh to you. Now, I want you to do that in the way that you're really thinking this through because that means this, that however close that I am willing to get to God, that's how close he's willing to get to me. For example, if I'm standing here representing me, here represents God, and I'm willing to take this kind of a step towards God, according to the scripture, he's going to do the same. He's not here saying, oh, wait a minute now, you got to do all this, this, and that. No, as close as I want to be with God, God will love on me and he will get just as close to me as I want to get with him. And so when we want to get close to the Father, when we want to get close to God, he will get close to us. But in the next part of this verse, I want you to see it because James is not just talking about fellowship. He's talking about a cleansing. Look at this. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And then he says with great emphasis, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, the hands and the heart here go together. And try to get this in a picture in your thought process. And if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. This might help you yeah, with James chapter 4, verse number 8. Because the hands symbolize our outward life. the life that other people see. But the heart speaks about our inner life, the life that God sees. That's what the scripture means. And so when you, when you have that thought and that picture in mind, cleanse your hands. You, you remember the scripture in the Old Testament, man looks on the outward, God looks on the inward. And so when you're thinking about this, cleanse your hands. This is about what people see. This is about uh, what you manifest. But then it says this, and purify your hearts, which God sees. And then the scripture says, you double-minded. So I want you to look at that. 
The hands speak of what we do. The heart speaks of who we are. And, and that's monumental. Let me say that again. The hands speak of what we do and the heart speaks of who we are. And here's the thing. If we allow a distance to come between us and God, and again, this distance is not measured in miles. This distance is measured in morals. If we allow a distance to come between us and God, it's because we have failed to keep our heart with all diligence. That's why we have this warning of how important it is to purify our hearts in the word. Now, there's a scripture here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that I wrote down, and maybe you want to attach it to your notes if you're taking notes tonight. And the scripture in Proverbs 4, 23, it goes hand in hand with what we just read. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So what we do on the outward is just as important what we do on the inward because it affects this, this, this fellowship with God. All right, now, verse number nine. Look at this, James 4, 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now, this passage of scripture is dealing with conviction. Do you know what conviction is? You know when the Holy Spirit begins to move on your heart. When you become born again, you are, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Spirit into one body. So here's the thing. The Holy Spirit moves into you. Your body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is how we... Uh, are led. The Bible says that the Spirit of God leads us. He will guide us into all truth. And when we start veering off the path, the straight and narrow, so to speak, when we start veering off the path, it's the Holy Spirit that starts those caution lights and those warning lights. And the Spirit of God begins to speak to us with great, great heaviness and, and great conviction. Here's the thing. If you understand conviction... When we're talking about our closeness with God, measure your closeness to the cross by your conviction or convictions. Measure your closeness, draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you, is what the word says. Measure your closeness. By the conviction of your heart. Really, that comes down to a question, and that is this. Do you find yourself really being sensitive to the wooing of the Holy Spirit? I mean, really, really sensitive. Where you say something and the Holy Spirit convicts you instantly. You think something and the Holy Spirit convicts you instantly. You get ready to do something and the Spirit of God says you ought not to do that. Are you really sensitive to the Spirit? Now look at this word in verse number nine, weep. And again, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I grew up uh, in what I would call the good old days. Some of you grew up probably in some of the uh, gooder good old days. 
than I, you know. Um, some of you shaking your head. Yeah, there, there were some gooder good old days. I grew up in the good old days. And back when I was growing up, there wasn't much to do. I'm telling you that we went to church, we went to school, and our folks worked. And that was all. Uh, we didn't have iPads, and we didn't have cell phones, and we didn't have we didn't have uh, color TV until I was almost a teenager. We didn't have air conditioning in our house. For, I don't know how old I was when we got it. But people worked. They went to school. And they went to church. And I can remember back in those good old days because our life was consumed in church. You know what we did when I was a kid growing up? We went to church on Sunday morning. We, my mom and dad, we, listen, you can ask my brother, my sister, we never sat at the kitchen table on Saturday night and had a family conversation about were we going to church tomorrow or were we going to go out and whatever? Well, that never came. That never happened. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even, to say an option is a, is a complete understatement here. We never did that. We were in church every Sunday morning. Back in those days, we had church on Sunday night. And here's what happened. On, we were in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and our church back in those days had choir practice on Tuesday nights. So our parents hauled us to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Tuesday night, we had to go hang out somewhere while the choir was practicing. Then we went back to church on Wednesday night, and then they had visitation on Thursday night. And, and that was our life. That was religiously our life. And that's how Danny and I grew up. That's, that's all we did. And so th those, those old memories, they're fresh and, and how they're missed in many different types of ways. But as I said earlier, in, in that environment, I've seen a lot of things in church. I've I've heard a lot of people preach, a lot of people teach, a lot of people testify, a lot of people surrender to the ministry. And back in those days, listen carefully, I remember, just like it was yesterday, I remember seeing people in the altar, and maybe you've seen this before in your lifetime. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I grew up seeing people in the altar weeping. Have you ever seen that? I'm talking about when, when, when the preacher stood to give the invitation and he would say every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen, immediately I've seen four or five people get out of their pew because of the wooing, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and move them down to the altar. And they come down the aisle weeping and crying. They get down here at the, at the altar and they weep and they cry. and they. I mean, I, that, that was something that I don't know if I'll ever see it again. I pray to God that I do because it's definitely an evidence of God moving in a supernatural way. But, but I remember people doing that. I'm talking about just laying stuff on the altar. I, I can remember back in the day 
People come down the aisle weeping and crying and say, oh, I'm not going to smoke another cigarette as long as I live. And throw the cigarettes on the altar. And I've seen the service in, and I've seen the janitors come by and pick up all this stuff and throw it away. I've seen God do that kind of thing. <laughs> I remember a few years ago, somebody did do that. Came down, laid a pack of cigarettes on the altar. I'm never going to smoke again. And when the service was over with, it came in the door and picked them up and left. Yeah, it happened. But, hey, I'm talking about seeing, seeing people do business with God, get serious with God. Tears were something back in the day when I grew up. And you look at this scripture here, be afflicted and mourn and weep. You know, the Bible records three specific times that Jesus wept. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says he wept in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's nothing wrong with tears. But there is a problem when the well dries up. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.